the Museum of South Texas History preserves and presents the borderline heritage of South Texas and Northeastern Mexico by telling the stories from the Rio Grande. Hello everyone and welcome to Stories from the Rio Grande. I am Pamela Morales de Hendricks, the Communications Officer for the Museum of South Texas History. So we're very excited about this interview with one of the members of Village in the Valley, also known as Viva. And it's an interesting conversation because Teresa sort of said, oh, he's sort of like our fun little white person. in the group. So his name is Matthew Pollock, if he wants to introduce himself. Yeah. Hello. Good morning. This is Matthew Pollock. I'm so excited to be here and uh, be part of this podcast. So Matthew, could you tell us, are you a, I guess, white person in the from the Valley or are you a transplant? So I'm a transplant. I'm a white guy from of the cornfields of Iowa. I've been in Texas 11 years and then moved back to Iowa. And I've been in the Valley now almost four years. So what made you come and live in the Valley? So my wife's Hispanic, and uh, the culture here is just phenomenal. It feels like a town of 19,000 people. Even though it's such a large population, It the the familial culture here just welcomed us, and we just kind of fell in love with the place. Plus, it's 90 degrees all the time with palm trees. So, Yeah, Iowa, I'm assuming it's, I mean, they are going through a heat wave, but also it gets like, what, negative 20? Yeah, negative 20, negative 30 through the winter, multiple feet of snow, driving's difficult. It's beautiful for the first day or so, and then you're just over it. So So you, you mentioned that you've been here for about four years. Village in the Valley didn't start or didn't get incorporated as a nonprofit until about 2019, but Marsha and Teresa Gatling and, you know, they're... Their uh, small circle really started talking about Village in the Valley in 2016. So I, I guess you kind of met them before they even started the nonprofit officially. Right. So I met Marsha Terry for lunch when I was kind of new to the Valley. I hadn't met Teresa or her husband, Al, um, until after I joined Village in the Valley. But I met Marsha for lunch one day, and I was just curious. That I'm inquisitive, and I'm curious, and I'm pretty open. So I just looked at Marsha, and I was like, what's it like being black in the valley? I I was just curious coming from a place that's 94% Caucasian to a place that's 88, 89% Hispanic, just kind of what that looks like, how the racial insensitivities or racial sensitivities impacted being in a different population. And how did you meet Marsha first before, I guess, going to to lunch with her? Sure. I, I went to lunch with her. At the time, I was working for the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley doing fundraising for the College of Health Professions. So her and Onua own Terry Physical Therapy, and so they were kind of a lead and a relationship I needed to build from a work aspect. And at our first lunch, that's when I asked that question and kind of just cemented our relationship and friendship, and everything grew from there. Yeah, because I believe Marsha is also in the the medical field right now. Yeah, so she was a nurse. Um, Now she kind of runs Terry Physical Therapy and handles all the day-to-day and growing along with the millions of other things she does too, but that's one of her roles. Wow. So then after you had lunch with her and then you asked her that question, what else happened? I mean, did you guys follow up with like another lunch or how – 
what happened. So funnily enough, our, our she responded to my question was like, well, what's it like being white in the valley? Which I thought was funny because I never put much thought into, oh, I do look different than everyone else here. And that is kind of a unique experience that not many Caucasians ever deal with of being the uh, – statistical minority you should is probably the correct way to say that so it was it put some thought in my mind and I joked and said we should have a minority support group Um, and she said funnily enough I've been talking to my friends about something very much like that where different cultures especially with low percentages of the population can kind of come together to share their cultures their challenges their frustrations their successes and then also bring in the Hispanic community too not trying to exclude anyone it's just kind of a a way because only 12% of the population here isn't Hispanic. So it's it's kind of tough for us to see people that look like us, but I didn't really give it thought. Being so new here, it didn't quite hit me yet that, oh, I literally have never seen another white person. <laughs> anyway, that's kind of how that all happened. Yeah, and to note, you're actually a lot younger than your voice sounds. I think that was my surprise when I asked you, so how old are you? And yeah, I'm 32. I don't. Do I sound old? I mean, I guess your voice is just so, I don't know. I don't know. That's just good. That's the, great. That's just funny. sounds older, yeah. And, and I bring that up because Marsha and Teresa and everyone, well, mostly everyone in Village in the Valley, they're about in their you know forties and fifties. So there's like obviously a very big age gap difference. And I guess I'm just like also curious because they have children, and they've gone through some of like the growing pains of being in the valley. And because you're so new, and because you're young. Have y'all been able to sort of talk about like family life and and how that looks for you and your wife? Sure. And I've met most of, if not all of their kids. Actually, Marsha and Onua have Ethan. He's, I think, 12. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, Marsha. And I have an eight-year-old son. So I started my family young. I have an eight-year-old, a four-year-old, and a three-year-old. So they actually get to hang out at events and he kind of entertains my son and they get along and it, they've kind of taken me on their wing I feel like part of their family uh, last year in no um, October I my whole family came down with COVID and the village really lifted me up there were days I couldn't stand long enough to cook food and they were at my door dropping off meals things to heat up I I would not have made it without them during that time it was it was pretty hard One of the other things that might be interesting for some people who are listening is just sort of this like white ally, white savior, tokenism, and you know, just sort of this virtual signaling. Has that ever been brought up? Has that ever crossed your mind? So I haven't personally really experienced anything like that, except when we were at the Black Lives Matter protest, there were people driving by and kind of that kind of trying to shame me in a way, which I don't feel shame. I feel like I'm leveraging my white privilege for a bigger movement and an equality for everyone. So even if it does happen, it just doesn't bother me. And I probably just don't pay attention to it because I, I feel like I have a calling to do something more with my life than just be a, a white guy filling a white role, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was sort of the, the question or because again it's such a big topic now like people talk about it all the time right okay so with that now that you've been here have you actually met any other white people in the valley any white families um so honestly i don't think i've met like 
uh, many white people my age. I've met some older that work at the university, like there's a few that work at the university that I've met through that. But typically, I usually see people out and about. They're the snowbirds or the winter Texans that come down. I, there's not a ton. Like, I haven't organically just ran into someone and made friends with anyone. I mean, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird dynamic. It's fun to be a part of, but I, now I actually pay attention to it, and I'm still just, like, looking around like, oh, there's another white person. Like it's, <laughs> But it's just not that common. So now that you're involved in Village in the Valley, or, like, how did you, like, once, you know, Teresa and, and Marsha got Village in the Valley up and running, how were you involved yeah, so Marsha asked me to join the board because I am pretty proficient in writing. There's not a lot of skills I have in my life, but I'm pretty good at writing, and they just wanted some help because they work their tails to the bone for Village in the Valley and just anything they can take off their plate and find a strategic partner. So they asked me to join the board and kind of lend some of my insight. I used to work for some nonprofits in Iowa as well, so kind of the 501c3 world and kind of know that. So they were trying to take Village in the Valley to the next level with some professionalism. So I came on board. Sabrina came on board. She's phenomenal. She's like the guru of all things, so we're so thankful for her too. But that's kind of how it started. was like they just wanted someone to bring the next level of professionalism to the writing, take it off their plate because they're great at so many things, and they were just like, we can find someone who can do the writing part and kind of do the communications and outreach, so I assist with that with whatever they need. So then you started with that. Now how are you involved or how's the, your involvement? So I still serve on the board. We, I help plan events. I help in any way they need help. So literally I'm printing off some coloring sheets for an event coming up. I, I, a lot of people do a lot more work than me, to be honest with you. I'm, they understand that with the three young kids that my life's completely hectic at this point. And so I help where I can. And Mackenzie's also been helping out so much. And so literally, if they need anything, like we need a press release, they'll just send that to me. Or if there's something I think of, or we just, we spitball on the phone and we get on, like we had a board meeting last night just talking about what the next steps are. How are we progressing with the COVID situation happening with these numbers going up? Should we cease events? Should we plan events? Should we go back to dinner? Like just talking through what we should actually do as Village in the Valley. Do you see yourself part of the organization for a long time? I, as long as I'm in the Valley, I'll be involved with Village in the Valley. Well, as long as they have me, but yeah. Yeah, so do you see yourself being in the Valley for a long time? I, I do. I have no plans to go anywhere. I, I love it here for my family. I love them having a different culture and, and really enjoying that part of their life and their history. And just, I don't know, there's just something about everything's family here. And it's, like I said, it's so strange to me how it feels like a town of 17,000 people. I'm from a town of 17,000 people and everyone knew each other. And I feel like everyone knows me here in such a wonderful, warm way that there's... I don't want to leave. What specifically do you see Village in the Valley doing? Because, you know, there was a, I had discussed this discussion with uh, Sabrina and Alfonso about sort of the future and the goal of the organization. So what specifically, I guess, do you see the organization, like the integration in the Valley? How do you see that? So for me, my, my main focus and my thought process behind it is getting the numbers in place and getting everyone connected in such a way that there's power in numbers and getting everyone together to have an actual voice. And when I say everyone, I just mean anyone interested in being part of our group, not specifically black, white, 
Mexican. It, I mean, it doesn't matter. We just want people kind of like-minded thinking in the same way and just trying to integrate everything because I just hear stories about people's kids, like black kids in schools where they get pencils stuck in their hair. There was a story that Alan Teresa's son talked about on just like inadvertent, I don't know if it's inadvertent, but like not super transparent racism things happening and just who else do you call to deal with that as most of the people who are young and have young kids here in the valley that are of color have no one to talk to they don't there's no phone number to call to deal with it because like i said that was my question when i met marcia at the beginning is like how is it different and then to start uncovering there were no resources or people to look out for because it's not you can't google search this because the population dynamics so different the cultural dynamics so different that there's not ways to address this in the same way you're not dealing with the same hierarchy that exists in the other 99% of America. So for me, it's just building that unity and that understanding of different cultures, because once the kids get it, everyone gets it, because all of this stuff is learned. And the the sooner we integrate people together with their cultures, like I'm, I'm excited my son's going to be growing up with black friends. Like that's exciting to me that there will be no cultural differences because they'll be making their own culture together in the Valley. So I always tell people, if you've been in the Valley long enough to order tacos, then you are you're from the valley. So, boyos like, asadas. That's all I know. I need that on the side. Did I say that right? Boyos asadas, yeah. Yeah, nailed yeah you're good. So, I bought, that's, yeah. So, if you know how to order them, then you're from the valley and you're like basically Hispanic. That's like, perfect. There is no like if and or buts. So, okay. So, then, you know, so basically it's just helping the, the valley see that we're not just Hispanic. Right. And just integrating with that, too. I mean, because the Hispanic culture is phenomenal. We take it very seriously and prideful in my home. So I do like to make sure people understand this isn't like an anything but. I think there's some people who see that and start to get defensive of the fact that it's another organization, but it's not trying to commandeer anything. It's trying to be part of the solution of the future and understanding the dynamics changing. I mean, I come from a mixed race household. I mean, my family are, is all Mexican-American. I don't even know what you call them. Like, and that's to the point, I want to get to the point where it doesn't matter. They're just the kids. Like, and that's, I think that's my end goal where people are just like, they know them by their name and that's it. There's not trying to identify like, well, what are you? Because it shouldn't really matter at the end of the day. So part of that, and one of the reasons why I decided to do this podcast season on Village in the Valley is because it's sort of history in the making. Obviously, we're a history museum and we really don't know too much about the black communities in the valley we obviously know about the jackson the webbers the singletaries and sort of their like historical contribution to the area but also realizing that they were here i guess i didn't realize that they were here until i got to the museum so i do believe that village in the valley is also trying to incorporate or ask school districts to offer electives, classes, elective classes about Mexican-American history, black history. Do you think that's also like a, like a good way of educating the children? Oh, sure. I think that's super important. Not only general American history for black America, but also talking about hyper-localized because it's one of those things where kids especially will disassociate that with, oh, that happened there, that happened somewhere else. And you don't talk about it. No one talks about it. And half the people don't even know about it. I didn't know about it. I mean, I've only been here four years, but you learn about the history and the racism on how there'd be a white side of town and then there'd be a Mexican and black side of town. And until we start getting that actual history written down and shared, it it, it's hard because then it just seems like something that happens somewhere else. It's it's not in our own backyard. It's not something that the the world around us in the valley was shaped by, which it 
clearly was. It's just not well documented because, I mean, history's written by those in power, and as you know, so. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add that I didn't ask about Village in the Valley? Well, I guess maybe mention, because you had talked about that you met with the board and sort of discussing how you're going to go forward with the rising numbers. I think y'all were having like monthly mixers or something like that. Sure. We were doing first Fridays at the first Friday of every month. As, as of now, I think we're going to continue moving forward. And if who's ever comfortable, continue coming. It's none of our things are mandatory. We just feel like there's good opportunity. And I'm fairly comfortable myself going out. I have no problem. I don't like to take my kids anywhere at this point with the numbers going back up. So they go to school and they come home and then I hose them off in Lysol and then they go play. But I think a lot of the adults with their vaccines who are vaccinated or even if they're not, I guess, but a lot of people, especially with vaccines, are comfortable going out and communicating and being part of something. I think a lot of people are just ready, like mentally over it, even though they understand that it's not over. Yeah. So is it, are y'all doing other stuff besides the mixers? So we are working on right now, we're doing a continued drive to get school supplies for children in need here in the Valley. So we're looking at potentially sponsoring a classroom or two and figuring out how to get backpacks to the kids who just aren't able to have those things provided to them from either their family or other support systems in the Valley. Wow. That's awesome. Thanks, Mackenzie. <laughs> yes. So if someone's interested about Village in the Valley, where should they go to find information? Yeah, come find out more information at villageinthevalley.org, or you can visit our Facebook. You can call us. You can get on the page and call me. We can sit down and talk about it and anything really. I, for me, it's just growing those relationships and growing that understanding. And uh, anytime you get to sit down with someone, I, I always say a stranger is just someone I haven't met yet. And that's, that's kind of how I live my life. Perfect. Anything else you'd like to add that I didn't ask? I don't think so. I don't know enough to know what I don't know. <laughs> it's been delightful. I appreciate you greatly for having having me on and taking the time to talk with me and letting me voice whatever um, I can in support of Village in the Valley. Well, thank you so much, and I appreciate you coming on. And we will, for those of you who are listening, we will have another episode, so stay tuned. podcast was brought to you by the Betty S. Kelso Foundation. It was produced by the Most History Communications team and edited by freelance podcast editor Leah Victoria Juarez. The song is Carpe Diem by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons. Follow us on Anchor to hear more about stories from the Rio Grande. Send your questions through the Anchor app. You can also subscribe to this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening to Most History, Stories from the Rio Grande.